please, to Philippians chapter 1. We have finished Ephesians. I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed Ephesians. It was a real blessing and a help to me. And uh, so we are now going to begin Philippians. Philippians is another a prison epistle. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are prison epistles. So we're in the book of Philippians. So what I sort of like to do right now, the idea of it is Old Testament for Sunday school class, New Testament for the preaching service, and on Wednesday night I do a bit of theology. That's what we're doing. So trying to get a good steady diet. Because I don't know about you, but I like a good steak. Famous time about steak. And I like a good steak, but with my steak, it's not just about the steak. Jenny and I went when we were on our we're, we're celebrating our anniversary early. We're going away. Uh, we're going to um, what you call that thing, the, the Bunraji Castle thing, banquet thing, you know. And so we've never done it before. So we want to have a good. Hopefully, have a steak there. But anyway, um, but the, but we're we're, we're going to do that. And, and uh, we were in, last year. We went to Rome to celebrate our anniversary, and we went to this steak restaurant. And the T-bone steak. I just kept going on about this T-bone steak, but she kept going on about the vegetables. She loved that, those, those beautiful Mediterranean vegetables because vegetables and steak go really well together. And of course you need the spuds. And that gives you a good balanced diet. And the way I look at it is, if we have Old Testament for Sunday school class, we have New Testament for the main preaching service, and theology on a Wednesday night, you're getting a good balanced meal. Does that make sense? That, that's good for the week. So that, that, that's the plan anyway. So that was for free. It has nothing to do with the message this morning. I just thought I'd throw it out there. Anyway, this morning I want to talk about the heart of the Apostle Paul for the church he planted. Paul, Timothy, and Silas had made inroads to Europe as they entered Philippi in Greece. That was then called Macedonia on their second missionary journey. The date was about 49 to 51 AD. Philippi was a chief city in the Roman colony, and sorry, and Roman colony, located near gold miles, gold mines, and close to a seaport. So therefore, it would have been a rich city. So although this church was located in a rich region, it doesn't seem like the Philippine believers themselves or the church itself was particularly rich as you look through it. But they were extremely generous in their giving to the Apostle Paul according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2, meeting financial needs of Paul again and again, and we'll see that in this book. Now, Acts 16 records the beginning of this church at Philippi. The apostles were led to a, a, a lady called Lydia, and they led her to Christ. And after getting saved, she said, come to my house and stay in my house, and evidently that church was started in their house. And after exercising a demon-possessed girl, Paul and Silas found themselves thrown into prison after being beaten. However, undeterred, they sang praises to God. It's a good thing to sing praises to God, isn't it? There's power and praise. Power and praise. So they were singing praises to the Lord. And uh, the Almighty responded with an earthquake which set the prisoners free. Charles Wesley, looking back to that event in Acts chapter 16, wrote the words in, to amazing love. My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee. What a beautiful hymn. I love those words. Boy, it gives me goosebumps just even thinking of those words. But that's exactly what happened. The prison guard fell to his knees, and he, said, he fell to the knees of those beaten evangelists. Those flogged evangelists, and, I, and, and he asked them, what must I do to be saved? The answer came back, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. 
And that's exactly what happened. That night, the jailer brought Paul and Silas back to his house. He dressed their wounds because he gave them a good hiding earlier. And then after hearing the gospel, his whole house was converted and they were baptized that very night. Thus, the Philippian church was born with a wealthy silver purple, the Philippian jailer and his house, and probably many of those prisoners who couldn't believe what happened that night. So some 12 years later, the apostle is now writing back to this precious church, and this time he's back in prison, except it's in prison in Rome, the year about 61 to 62 AD, the title again of this morning's message, The Heart of the Apostle for the Church he planted. I want to tell you something. When you put your heart and soul into something, you're looking for something at the end. I think we're all like that. Put your heart and soul into your job, you want to see blessing at the end of it. Put your heart and soul into your family, you want to see blessing at the end of it. Whatever you put your heart and soul into, you want to see fruit and blessing at the end of it. The Apostle Paul is no different. Let's read Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 to 11. Paul and Timothy, Timothy that is, and the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which have begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, and that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much that we can bow before you. Thank you, Lord, for a beautiful day. Thank you to this, the Lord's day. Thank you for bringing us out to hear the word of God. Lord, I don't know the motives and reasons why people came out. But no matter why people are here, let each one of us focus our attention on hearing from God. I pray, Lord, that everyone will leave here so glad that they came. I pray that everyone will leave here having heard from the Almighty, that your blessed Holy Spirit will dig deep in each heart and you would minister to our hearts. You would root out what needs to be rooted out. You bring to mind the things that need to be confessed and forsaken. I pray your Holy Spirit will have freedom in our hearts. I pray, Lord, you bless us with your word. I pray you strengthen us with your word. I pray you challenge us with your word. Things that need to change, I pray that you'll bring them to our attention and give us a heart to see changes that would bring only blessing to our lives. You are so good to us. Lord, may we just gaze upon you now. Let man be forgotten about. Let no one's voice be heard this morning but yours. May your Holy Spirit have absolute free course this morning in each heart. And let each know they've met with God this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Okay, first thing I want to share, number one, Paul praised them 
for their growth in Christ. He praised them. It's nice to be praised. I think everybody likes a bit of praise. The Philippian believers brought him joy. Look at verse 4. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. Paul was cheerful when he thought of them. They put a smile on his face. They didn't cause him heartache. They made him glad. His thoughts of them didn't go back to his imprisonment. He didn't go back to that beating he received just before he was thrown into jail. In fact, his thoughts went back to thankfulness. Verse 3 tells us, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Boy, did they bring joy to the apostle. The apostle. There was hope in his prayers. He'd seen many miracles done. He'd seen miracles in their lives already, and he expected those miracles to continue. He expected that God would continue what he began in that church. But I want to tell you something this morning. The Apostle Paul could not say about that about every church he'd been in, but he could say about the Philippians. They brought him joy. But another thing about these Philippians, they brought him fellowship. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, Biblical fellowship is a whole lot more, brethren, than getting together and having fun. I think it's great that we can have fellowship. I, I think it's great after the service this morning, we're going to have a cup of tea, have a few biscuits, whatever, some treats, and we can talk together and enjoy each other's fellowship. But biblical fellowship is more than just getting together and having fun. I'm so glad that in October we can get together at the end of the month and we can have a video night and we can watch a Christian movie together and be challenged and encouraged and maybe play some games and just enjoy each other. I'm glad we can do that. But brethren, Christian fellowship is more than just getting together and having a bit of fun. I'm so glad that many of you have Christian friends. You get together with those Christian friends and, and you can have fun with them. You can have a laugh with them. And that's all great, but it's more, there's more to fellowship than that, brethren. Biblical fellowship unites us together. People who wouldn't otherwise unite. People from different backgrounds. Different cultures. Different generations. Different socio-economic groups. Paul was a Jew. They were Gentiles. But they were partners in the gospel. Paul said for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day of the night. They were they had fellowship in the gospel. They were partners in the gospel. They were participators in his work. Brethren, they supported him. We support seven missionaries. They supported Paul. Don't know who else they supported, but I know they supported Paul. They were benefactors of his ministry. Their sweet fellowship was based on the sacrifice that Paul made to reach them for Christ. And then the sacrifice they were making to him to keep his work going. Isn't that a blessing? Paul sacrificed so much for them. To get them to know Christ. And he, he, his back, he says, I bear on my back the marks of the Lord Jesus. He had scars for the work he put in for that, for that church there in Philippi. And they said, you know, we appreciate that, Paul. And we want to support you now. We, you supported us. It's time for us to give back to you. That's fellowship. The Philippians brought him joy. They brought him fellowship. But they also brought him confidence. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was not expressing confidence in people who were going to let him down. I think we all know what it's like to be on the receiving end of empty promises. 
Last week, I sent out an email to a solicitor to some work I wanted to do, and I want to get a, 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 another solicitor, and I was contacting this solicitor. And you know, he sent me back an email, and it was one of those Dear John letters. He said, I'm sorry, we can't take on this job. And this is what they said. They said, we'd like to do our very best for our customers, and we don't think we can give you the time you need to do your job, do the job properly. I wrote them an email back, and I said, I really appreciate that. Because there are people who take on work and they know they can't meet your deadlines and they know they won't do a good job and they know they'll do a shoddy job. But there's a reason why this solicitor has a rating of 4.9 out of 5. There's a reason. Because what they say they mean and you can have confidence in their work. You know, I'd rather wait for someone like that than work with someone who's shoddy with me too. But Paul was expressing confidence in those who had a proven track record. Verse 6, he said, being confident of this very thing. They were there for him when he needed him. They had helped him carry his burden by prayer and by support. When Paul was in the, in, in, in the trenches serving Christ, they were praying for him, upholding him. It's a blessing to uphold your missionaries, isn't it? I'm so, I'm so glad that, that we made this last month a, a time of prayer to pray for the cleans, aren't you? They're in the trenches serving God there in Portugal. And we're praying for them. We're holding the ropes. We're going to make sure they're okay. And now it's the Figali's turn. We're going to get behind them and really pray for them. It's not that we can stop praying for the cleans. But we can definitely pray for the Figali's and pray for their work and pray for what's going on in Khartoum. Brethren, these people were helping Paul and carrying his burden. They were allowing God to work in their lives. And Paul had every reason to believe that work would continue, brethren, because they were already allowing God to work in their lives. But I want to tell you this morning, Paul's confidence was not in, in them. Paul's confidence was in the Lord. A, a God who, will, who always finishes what he starts. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad we're not kept by our own power? There are some people here maybe, and you're sitting there this morning and saying, you know, I'm a good person. And because of my good works, God will accept me the way I am. I had people tell me that yesterday. But I want to tell you something, there's no good works that are going to make you acceptable before God because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You're not kept by yourself. There may be people here this morning and saying, you know, I, okay, I trusted Jesus Christ as, your, as my Savior, but I'm going to hold firm to the end. I'm going to endure to the end. I'm going to be faithful to the end. Well, all I can say, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, disrespectful but good luck to you. Because none of us are strong enough, and all of us are weak. But there's a God in heaven who's able to keep us by His power. And the Bible tells us in 1 Peter, we're kept by the power of God. And if there's only one reason why you're going on today for the Lord, it's because you've a God in heaven who's behind you. Aren't you glad about that? Because if it wasn't for him, we'd give up a long time ago, wouldn't we? Brethren, I want to illustrate this with a sad illustration. I remember years ago, there was this young lady my wife and I had been praying for for years. And I said, I said, you know what? I'm going to pray for her every day. I will not stop. And I didn't keep my promise. I did. Because I was depending on myself. Brethren, there's nothing in here to depend on. This is going to fail me and this is going to fail you. We're not kept by our own power. We're kept by the power of God. Aren't you glad about that? 
And that's what Paul could say, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. But there needs to be cooperation with God's people because we're laborers together with him, right? God will do his part, but we've got to labor with him. Would you agree with that? We have to labor with God. And the co their cooperation with Christ gave Paul every reason to maintain that confidence. They brought him joy, they brought him fellowship, they brought him confidence, they also brought him companionship. Look at verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. Isn't that wonderful? I just think about you all the time. It's just in my heart. It is much as bonds in both, sorry, both in my bonds and in the defense of and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. They were, his, they were his companions, partakers, the Bible says, but that's the idea of companionship, right? They weren't just partakers of his grace. They were participants in his ministry. Their hearts were together, not because they got on together, but they got on with it together. Do you see the difference? Not just because they got on together, but they got on with it. What did they get on with? The Lord's work. They, they just worked together. They had a cause that firmly knit their hearts together. It makes me think of David as he's going up against Goliath. He said, is there not a cause? Brethren, there is a cause. And the cause is that God's enemies want to destroy the work of God. And they're spiritual. We talked about it last week. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a cause. But we have a Savior. And we have a Christ. And we have a Lord who is willing to help us to overcome all powers and demons of darkness because of his strength. But that cause knits us together. And the cause is proclaiming his name. It really is. Their hearts were united with Paul. Their hearts were united with Paul when he was in prison. Their hearts were united with Paul when he was free to share his faith. Even though they were raised in different countries, different cultures, with different experiences, there were no barriers between them. I look out this morning, I don't know where you got the stat from, but you were mentioning yesterday that there's 156 different cultures in Ireland or something like that. The nationalities. nationalities, 156 nationalities. You know, heaven's made up from people from every culture, every kindred, every tongue. You want to know what heaven's like? Look around you. The slice of heaven this morning, you got people from different countries, and I'm not going to go through the different nations in this room, but I want you to get the idea that the people from every country and every kindred and every tongue in, in glory. And what unites us together? The blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. And what unites us on earth? His cause. His cause. The family of God. We're part of the same family, the family of God. And you know what? Blood is thicker than water. I'm talking about Christ's blood, that is. It's thicker than water. So they brought him joy, they brought him fellowship, they brought him confidence, they brought him companionship, they were knit together. And this church, this Philippian church, brought Paul a craving for more of his fellowship. Look at verse 8. For God is my record. How greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. If he was around today, he'd say, I really miss you. I miss being with you. I miss spending time with you. 
I long after you all and the bonds, the bonds of Jesus Christ. Paul yearned for them. He greatly desired to fellowship with them again. At this particular time, point in time, there was nothing more important to him than being with the Philippians. He just wanted their fellowship. This Jew and those Gentiles would normally mix together like oil and water. But their hearts were knit, were knit together as one, their hearts beat together as one for the furtherance of the gospel both in Asia and in Europe. There's something about the gospel that knits people together, isn't there? When everybody's on the same team, there's nothing like it. Nothing like it at all. So they brought Paul a craving for more fellowship. Paul wanted to be out of prison so he could visit them and see their faces again. They were involved in missions, involved in soul winning. And I want to tell you something. There's something special about when we have the Holiday Bible Club here in Gospel Baptist Church. When we've got everybody gathered together and the heartbeat together when we're going out there to evangelize those precious children, isn't there? There's something special, brethren, when we have all church soul winning. And there's times when we've had 30 people leave this building and go out there on a Sunday after church and, and reach people for Jesus Christ. There's something special about the heartbeat that knits us together. There's one vision, one passion, one goal. I can't explain it. You just have to experience it. They were involved in missions. They were involved in soul winning. And Paul only had praise for the spiritual growth of these precious Philippian believers. All he could do is praise them. So Paul praised them for their growth. But for their, and then he also prayed, number two, he prayed for continued growth. Look at verse nine. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in judgment. Now, this question. If you have people who are already growing, and I got challenged by this. I was really thinking about this. They're already growing. They're already faithful. They're already encouraging. They're already involved in what you're doing. They already have a heartbeat for what you're doing. And you're all in together. What do you pray for them for? What's there to pray for? Because like you're thinking, well, I can pray for their unsaved relatives. I can pray for their children, for their parents, for their grandparents, whatever. I can pray for all that. But what can I pray for these people? Because we're already together. Well, Paul, Paul found two very important things to pray for. First of all, he prayed that their love would abound. Look at verse 9. He said, this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. I don't know about you, but I don't think I love people the way I should. I don't think I love, I, sh I love Christ the way I should. I don't think I love the way I should. I think I have room for growth in that area of my life. And that's what Paul prayed for the believers. Luke chapter 10 verse 27. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. Now who can say that they love the Lord as much as they should? I don't think anybody in this room could say, I, I just love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. I couldn't love him anymore. I don't know if anybody could say that. I mean, loving him with all of our hearts means to allow him into every single area of your heart, every single room in your house, surrendering everything to him. I mean everything. Lord, you can have it all. One by one, you can have it all. And, and mean it. And the Lord pulls away. Sure, Lord, you can have it. That's not easy, is it? Wow. 
That's loving him with all your heart. What about your 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 mind? Loving him with all of our soul, should I say? Loving him with all our soul means to love him with all our being, because your soul is your being, right? To give all our hopes, all our goals, all our aspirations over to him, walking in his will and living in complete submission to it, and a great object lesson of that is Ruth. Lord, for me. To love you with all my heart and soul, to love you with all my soul, means that I'm going to take care of Naomi for the rest of my life, even if I never have my own way, never have my own freedom, never have my own independence. I'm, I, I'm loving you with all my soul, I'm going to take care of Naomi. Loving the Lord with all my soul for Ruth would mean, you know what? I'm willing to, to marry the person that is going to redeem her and redeem her family name. And if it's Boaz, I'll marry Boaz. If it's somebody else who I don't know or I don't even want to be married to, I accept that. I accept my circumstances completely. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to battle. Lord, you win. Before we even begin, you win. That's tough. That's tough. Who can say I'm there? I have a lot of respect for Ruth right now, I really do. Loving him with all our, 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 our minds, our strength, should I say. Our strength means to pursue Christ. We can't remain static or inert. I'm just waiting for God's love to come to me. No, that's not how it works. We cannot wait for godliness to come to us. We must pursue it. We must pursue him passionately. You must wake up early in the morning and spend time with God because you're pursuing Him passionately. You must set aside time for prayer because you're pursuing Him passionately. You must say, God, what do you want me to do? I only have so much time left in my life and I want to make it count. Lord, what must I do? What do you need from me? Pursuing God as the heart panted after the water brooks. Psalm 42 verse 1. So panted my soul after thee. That means to love God with all your strength. That's effort. Strength means effort, doesn't it? Who can say they love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength? Loving God with all our minds means that our thoughts are Godward. We've no room in our minds for the lust of the eyes, for the lust of the flesh, for the pride of life. There's no room. Those, those things, I don't have time for that. I want to love God with all my mind. Who can say their mind, their thoughts are Godward all the time? Who can say Christ is always occupying our thoughts? Maybe you've experienced that before. I hope you have. When God has done that reviving work in your life, you're on fire for God, and Christ is on your mind all the time. It's wonderful, isn't it? We don't always live that way, do we? We don't always love God the way we should. Who can say that they love God as they should? Who can say that they love their neighbor as themselves? Such a person would do anything for his neighbor. Nothing would be too much to ask. Always there at the end of the phone. Always there at the drop of a hat. Loyal to the core. Loyal to the bone. We might be willing to show such love to people close to us. But not my neighbor. I mean, not the stranger down the road. No, no. I'll, I'll do it for people I know. People I trust. People I, I'd like to do that for. But to do it for my neighbor? No, no thanks. The Lord gave a parable about the uh, Good Samaritan, right? And he gave his own money. He gave up his own money and, and took care of that other person, sacrificed. He could have got the hiding himself going over to see if the guy was okay, right? He didn't know there wasn't people waiting for him to jump on him. Loving at your neighbors yourself is a big ask. Love always causes you to go out of your way for others. Sacrificially, it just does. Love is sacrificial. John 3.16, for God so loves the 
where Tariqi gave his only begotten son. Sacrifice, massive sacrifice. Love does not ask the question, what's in it for me? Now, we ask that question. Well, what, how will I benefit from this? Now, humanly speaking, we look, well, hopefully there's a benefit at the end of it. We're looking for benefit. But I, I, know, I know one thing, and I, I wish I lived this way, and I'm not going to claim to live this way, I don't. But it's a blessing for me in ministry to visit people and do things for people who I know will never pay it back and never can. It blesses me because I know I need to do this for me. I get nothing out of it, only the pure joy of being able to do it. I wish I was more like that. I have a lot of room to grow. But loving your neighbor yourself, I realize is a very difficult thing to do, isn't it? I don't think any of us have attained to such love. It's a lifelong objective. Loving God requires we actively pursue Him. Loving neighbors means loving our neighbor means that we get, give them equal treatment. But that must be tempered by discernment, because we have to read the rest of the verse there. This I pray then that your love may abound more and more, yet more and more, verse 9, in knowledge and in all judgment. The word judgment means discernment or perception. Christians are not suckers. Brother McCourt and I were having a conversation about a certain situation. Oh, I'm not going to share it publicly, but he and I, were, we'll tell, tell you about it later, but not right now. And uh, he and I were saying, you know, we're not suckers. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're suckers. Looking for people that make, that make us fools. We're not fools. Just because Christ-likeness means that we should be willing to go the extra mile doesn't mean that going the extra mile for a certain person will do them any good. In fact, sometimes going the extra mile for somebody might do them harm. Does that make sense? One of the lads who graduated from the men's home was talking to me and he said, you know, he said, I hate walking by a girl begging on the street. He said, I always have to give them money. And I have to ask myself the question. I understand the compassion. You were there before. I get it. I completely get it. But let me ask the question. Is that good discernment? Because oftentimes people who are begging on the street, what do they use that money for? I think we already know. It's drug related. Much better to give people what they need than what they want. Much better. Is that loving people, giving them what they need, finding out what they need, talk with them. It's, 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 and I'm not condemning him at all. I'm not saying my statement at all, but I just, it was just a thought that came to my mind. But let me ask a question. I'm just asking questions so we can think about this. Would it not be better just to sit down and talk with that person and say, can you tell me your story? And find out a way to help that person. Paul prayed that their love would, uh, would abound more and more, but their discernment would also abound. And discernment means having percep perception. And then, then the word knowledge is here. Look at verse 9. It says here, that, that, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. The word knowledge means recognition. It means it's discernment based upon recognizing what people need. People need Christ. We know that, but we forget it. When we see people in need, we see their physical needs. But beyond those physical needs are spiritual needs. And oftentimes people have serious physical needs because they haven't addressed their spiritual needs. Does that make sense? 
And if we help them address their spiritual needs, maybe that will help them with their physical needs. And brethren, I want to tell you something. Whenever we interact with people, the first thing that should be on our minds is how can I win that person to Jesus Christ? Remember years ago, uh, there was a, a fellow I was talking with and he said, you know, I hate when, when people who are zealous for Christ treat unbelievers like targets. I sort of get what he's getting at. I think what he meant is just trying to give the gospel but not caring about that person. I think that's what he meant. And we shouldn't treat people like targets, but, but we should treat people like we care for their souls. And I want to ask the question, what's more important than seeing someone get saved from the pit of hell and have their sins forgiven and have a home with, with the Lord in heaven? What could be more important than that? If we really love people, can we see them in their sin and not tell them something? Can we really say, I love you, but I don't tell them the most important thing they ever hear, need to hear in their lives? Brethren, when we talk to people and we pass them literature, I believe we should leave them with the desire to read that meat flush and want to hear more from us in the future. Does that make sense? We don't Bible bash them. We don't beat them up spiritually. We don't abuse them. We don't call them names. We don't, we're, we're not dismissive of them. We should love people. Would you agree with that? Loving people, but with discernment. Saying, I know their greatest need is their soul. Everything we should do for other people should support their journey in coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Because I've got to believe everybody's on, their, on a journey. Now they could be on the wrong journey, but everybody's on a journey, right? We want to get them off the wrong path, onto the right path. The narrow path, the narrow way. But, what if people do have physical needs? What if they do have financial needs? Should we not do what we can to try and help them? There's a saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish and you feed him for a lifetime. Brethren, it is so much better, rather than throwing money at people, to sit down with them and help them to make life work for themselves and support them and encourage them so that they're able to make it themselves. Then we've really helped them. Would you agree with that? But that takes interaction. That takes time. That takes the investment of time. It shows discernment. It also shows love. Godly discernment brings believers to a place, brethren, of maturity. Look at verse 10. That you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be a sincere, and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ. Mature discernment approves. It says that you may approve things that are excellent. To approve means to carefully examine something, to prove it to be excellent. In other words, ask the question, where does this lead? Where are we going with all this? Where is this, where is this going? We need to approve it. And sincere means open and honest, above reproach, above rebuke, above question. Rather than trying to hide decisions, Sincerity welcomes accountability. Sincerity literally means to be judged by someone. You're looking at something, you're saying, where does this lead? I'll tell you when somebody's sincere. I'll tell you when, 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 when discernment is mature. When some people say, don't ask me any questions, I'm leading around here. That shows a lack of maturity. But when someone says, I'm understanding, I'm in leadership. You can ask any question you like. If I can't get an answer and give you an answer, I'll find an answer for you from the scriptures. You with me here? That's leading people with discernment. 
Because when you're when when when, when it's, it's judged by sunlight, it's open for everyone to see. You've nothing to hide. And what I say to people oftentimes is your phone should not be hidden. Now I don't want everybody reading my texts and reading my emails, but my wife has free reign. I don't want people going on my computer and reading my stuff, but there's people around here with my passwords. Because they need them. But the point is, we shouldn't be hiding things. There, there should be nothing hidden. We shouldn't be embarrassed. We shouldn't be one way publicly and another way privately. We should be sincere. Would you agree with that? Open to criticism. And if people criticize us, we need to ask the question, is there a truth, a measure of truth in this? Is there something I need to deal with? Because brethren, that's the sermon that leads to maturity. Those with mature discernment are happy to have the spotlight shone on their decisions because they're more concerned about getting it right than they are about the embarrassment of being wrong. And I remember in my youth, the embarrassment of not wanting to be wrong because I was young. As you get older, you don't worry so much about being wrong. I, I can blame you for something. But the point is this. It's okay to be wrong at times because if you know you're wrong, you can correct it. Those with mature discernment will do anything to avoid falling into sin because they want to be without fence towards God first and foremost. That's what it says here. That he may be sincere and without offense, without offense toward the day of Christ. Paul prayed that their love would abound. He prayed for their discernment to abound. He prayed that their endurance would abound. Look at it says here at the end of verse 10. That you may be without offense Till the day of Christ. That's a long way away. That may not be. Brethren, the Lord Jesus Christ could return today. He could. I hope so. I'm going to spend the next 24 hours just time away with my wife. But if Jesus comes back first, amen. I'll take that one, amen. I drove the poor girl mad when, when we were getting married. I said, I can't wait for the rapture to happen. She said, no, just, can we just get married first? But nothing, no, offense, no offense towards my wife, but I'd rather be at the marriage supper of the Lamb than be at my own marriage supper. You know what I'm saying? I don't know when Jesus is going to come back. But he says in Revelation, Behold, I come quickly. And I want to be with him. This world is not my home. I, I want to be with Christ. But I don't know the day nor the hour. No man knows the day nor the hour. But I know one thing. I want to make sure I'm ready. I want to be, have discernment. I want to have love. I want to have endurance till that end day. Some people are short distance runners. They're faithful for a while. And they'll serve God for a while. But for some reason, after a few tours of service, and I'm using military terms here, they feel they're done and they check out and they go absent without leave. Brethren, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. The Christian life is not a 100 meter sprint. I love watching sprinters. I love watching a 100 meter sprint. It, it, it's so fun to watch. But the Christian life is not a 100 meter sprint. It's a 26.2 mile race. It's a marathon. I don't watch marathons get Watch somebody go, boy, they're fast, they're mad, they're fast. I can't run as fast as they can. And they do for 26 miles, it's really fast. Brethren, life can be boring at times, being faithful. 
I just want a bit of excitement. I want to sprint somewhere. Fine. But don't faint. You know the word marathon? Came from a fellow who ran during a battle from Marathon to Athens. And he ran the whole distance, 26.2 miles. And he collapsed and he died. That's why the marathon is 26.2 miles. Bless his heart. You know, that's the history behind it. But brethren, it's so important to finish the race, isn't it? And finish it alive. And finish it healthy. It's an amazing blessing for Gospel Baptist Church to have young families with young children. I believe children are the life breath of a church. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay, good. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Okay? But equally, it is essential for Gospel Baptist Church to have older believers who've been around for a while and who are faithful, who've walked with God for many years and they're still walking with God, who've served God for many years and they're still serving God. Believers who know how to pray. Believers who know how to support younger believers. It's so important. You can't put a price on that. But not everybody is able to do that. Some have no root in themselves and endure for a while. Mark 4, 17 tells us. So 2 Timothy 2 says, Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And Hebrews 12 encourages us to run with patience the race that is set before us. Brethren, be faithful. Be faithful. Endure to the end. And I'm not going to misquote Matthew, he that endureth to the end shall be saved, because that's misquoting it. It's talking about the tribulation period. It's talking about physical deliverance. It's talking about Jesus Christ coming back. That's not what I'm talking about here. But we should endure to the end, shouldn't we? We should be faithful. Because that's what makes a healthy church. When you've got young believers coming in, bring their children with them, wanting their children in the Sunday school class, wanting their children in children's church, wanting their children learning the word of God, and you've got the older believers saying, this is great, you're doing a great job. We need all of it. Would you agree with that? It makes it a healthy church. So Paul prayed that their love would abound, that their discernment would abound, that their endurance would abound, and finally, that their fruit would abound. Look at verse 11. It says, Being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are reached by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Brother Willie helped us to take down a tree. He's, he's, he's left the room now for me to take care of one of the kids, but he helped us take down a tree, and, and uh, it was a large pine tree, and it was in the way. It was an obnoxious tree, and I couldn't wait for it to be gone. It's gone. It's going to be firewood for his stove. Praise God. But I want to tell you something. There was an apple tree right beside it that wasn't producing fruit. I'm hopeful that that big, ugly, obnoxious pine tree is gone. I'm hopeful that the apple tree will start producing fruit. The older we get as Christians, we should be producing more fruit. Isn't that right? We should be greater examples of Christ's love. We should be experiencing greater joy there should be a more lasting, a more settled peace. We should be more patient, right? <laughs> can I be wait? Can, can, can I wait till my kids are grown up before being able to be more patient? No, we can't. We should be more gentle. We should definitely show more godliness, more goodness, and meekness, 
not responding to every frustration and every point of offense. We should be more controlled. We should trust God more. And those who are following close behind should be able to follow our example. That's what's desperately needed, isn't it? That's what makes a church healthy. When you've got older believers saying, I've walked with God. Now, they're not going to be proud or lifted up. They're going to be humble, but they're, they're basically their, their lives say, I've walked with God. Follow me. I'll show you the way. Because the Lord is faithful. That's the keep saying, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is good. God is faithful. The Lord took me through the last so many years, and he's going to take me through to the end. God is faithful. I've served God the last number of years. It's been a wonderful blessing. We've had our ups and our downs. God's been faithful. I'll serve him to the end. And I want you to follow my example. You see what I'm doing right now? I want you to follow that. I want you to look, take a good look at my life and say, this is the way to go. This is the way to go. I want you to follow this example because it works. And why does it work? Because I proved it. Why, why have I proved it? Because God is faithful. It keeps coming back to the Lord, isn't it? It's all Him. He is the one that began that work in my life many years ago when I repented of my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I saw myself as a sinner and I knew I was lost. I knew I was hellbound. I knew I was on my way to hell. But Jesus Christ intervened in my life. Thank God for that day when I realized I was a sinner. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And it tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I call that and say, God, please, please forgive me. And from that date, when I repented of my sin, when I put my faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, when I put my sins on him, the load was taken away, the peace came, the joy came. Yeah, I've had days when that peace left. I get it. I've had days when the joy wasn't there. I get it. But there's such a peace in my heart. There's such a joy in my life because of Jesus. And you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. But I want you to know that there's someone rooting for you. There's someone praying for you. And I want you to follow my life. Not because I'm perfect, but because I follow Jesus. That's the way it's supposed to be, isn't it? And who gets the glory? There's only one person. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, verse 11, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. That is, the, that is only our testimony, brethren, if we're growing. You can't be static. You can't be stagnant. You can't be making any excuses for where you're at in your spiritual life. It's not a chance. You can't go that road. You can't, if, if you go down the road of excuses, you're acting just like Saul when God took his kingdom away. You don't want that. You don't want blessing taken away from your life. No, that's not okay. It's not okay. No excuses. Gotta grow. That's only our testimony for growing in Christ's love, growing in discernment, growing in endurance. Brethren, let me say this morning, too many of God's precious children are giving up the race far too early. They quit the race before they even see the finish line. Dear brothers and sisters, let that not be us in this room. And if you got off course, get up again. I heard a story, it was a great story about a runner. And this runner was in a race and 
he was, I, I, I want to say some African country versus a European country, because I don't remember the countries. But the African country, the guy, the guy, the runner was really fast, and he, he missed, he, he thought he, he was at the finish line, he just mixed it up. And he stopped. And the European guy got behind him and pushed him. He said, get going again, get going again, get going again. And then he pushed him right to the finish line. The guy was like, well, not know what was going on and pushed him around until he finished the race. And the media said to the European guy, why did you do that? Well, you could have won the race. He said, but it wasn't my race. It was his race. He, would have, he, he, he just got mixed up and he would have won. He said, how can I look at my mother and look at that medal and say, I won that race? I didn't. It was like cheating for me. He was the true winner. But that man got behind the other family and pushed him to the end. Brethren, that's what we need to do as unbelievers. Get up and get going again. You're not at the finish line yet. Get running again. Get running for the Lord Jesus Christ. Run with patience that race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And stop slacking. Get going again. Because you're not finished yet. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But you want to be faithful right to the end. Amen. Right to the end. That's endurance. We need that. Let's not be like some of those quitters, brethren. Let's not be like that at all. Let's, like, let's be like the Philippians, that church of Philippi. And Paul wrote a letter to the, to, the, to the Philippians, and in it he praised them for their growth in Christ. He praised them for their joy that they brought him, for their fellowship in the gospel, for their companionship in his labors. But he didn't stop there. He prayed for their continued growth. Don't stop. Don't stop. That's not enough. Keep going. He prayed for them to grow in love, grow in discernment, grow in endurance, grow in fruit. fruit. I wonder if the Apostle Paul was to write a letter to Gospel Baptist Church, what would he say? What would he write? I wonder, would he have said we bring him joy? Would he count on us for fellowship? Would he have confidence in us? Would he cause companions in his gospel? Let me take it a step further. What if he wrote a letter to you personally? What would he say to you? Are you a loving person? Perhaps you are. But do you demonstrate discernment? Are you discerning? Do you love the way God would have you to love? Are you a discerning person? Maybe you're a discerning person, but do you have love as well with that discernment? Are you enduring, dear Christian? Are you fervently pressing on in faithfulness? According to what we have spoken today, is there fruit hanging on your tree? That was the heart of the apostle for the Philippians. And may we get a hold of that heartbeat today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray with you.